God, we thank you that we can just gather and that this is just a sacred time, God, where just nothing else matters outside of this room, Father, that we can just simply come before you and just the one that is timeless, the one that is omniscient, the one that knows everything. And you say that my, my yoke is easy, and you say come and enter into rest. God, I pray for rest for each one of us this evening, God. I pray just for just expectant hearts, God, just really expectant hearts. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, we're going to watch the family news in just a minute. And I, I realize that many of you don't really carry cash like this. And some people have been asking about how to give so that it just sort of like, like for, in my family, it just comes out of our bank. If you go to willowparkchurch.com and then click on giving, you can do it that way too. That way is a lot easier for me. I realize, you know, we're not a bunch of old guys with those little purses that open up, you know, like those rubber things. Whatever. But anyways, ushers, you can go around anyways. Yeah. Did you guys fall asleep there? You, you can go. You can take the offering, yeah. All right, family news. Curtis, roll it. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from Church at 33, Creekside, South, or Glenmore, welcome, and here's your family news. Kids, if you're in kindergarten to grade 5, there's still time to sign up for clubs at Church at 33. It starts Tuesday, September 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. For more info, check out willowparkchurch.com clubs. This month for Willow One Prayer, we will gather Monday, September 30th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at each of our locations, Church at 33, South, Glenmore, and Creekside. Creekside will be meeting at Pastor Jeremy's house. Childcare will be provided for Church at 33 only. The marriage course is for any couple who are wanting to invest in their relationship, no matter how long you've been married and whether you are in a strong relationship or you're struggling. It starts October 1st and runs Tuesdays from 6.30 to 8.45 p.m. For more info and to register, visit willowparkchurch.com slash marriage course. Many more programs are starting up for kids, youth, and adults. Please check out your bulletin or visit willowparkchurch.com slash events. That's all for your family news. Thanks, and enjoy your service. All right. Uh, we have a special pursuit-only uh, announcement. Um, out on the table there, there's a little pink form like this. Do you see that? Um, we're considering making a change to our timing here, and here's what it is. Right now, we meet at 6. We start at about 6.07, 6.08, usually, maybe 6.10 if Chris prays too long. Um, and then we go until about quarter to 8 which is great. We have a lot of worship. Sometimes the message goes long because these passages are enormous. But there's lots of you with kids. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it's Kid City around here. Am I right? I mean, there's a lot of obedient parents being fruitful out there, and it's wonderful. Um, But what happens is, is that once you start to have kids and they get to be school age, it's really hard to get home and have them in bed for school tomorrow. So we're considering changing pursuit to 5.30 and then ending around 7.00 which will allow all of our young families to still, you know, work it out. But then also, for the rest of us, then at 7, if you have exams the next day or homework, you can go home and do that. If you want to stay late and do that, if you want to go with your friends, it's sort of like, see what I'm saying? So we're considering 5.30 to 7. Um, the parents are, are, are excited about it for the most part. Nobody said it won't work, but we want to hear your input. So on this little piece of pink paper, it says, would that work for you? Yes, no, and then... 
Good either way, really that just means I don't really care. And then comment. So if it won't work for you, if you could comment, that would be wonderful. Um, something that we, we realized is that there's a lot of, I mean, I love Pursuit because we have every age. Like we have from the youngest to the very oldest, and I love that. And we also have a lot of young adults who are starting to have kids, and we don't want them to have to not come to church because it's in the evening. That's kind of our rationale. So think about it. Um, when we, if we do decide to change it, we'll give you guys all a month notice, okay? And then you can come to Pursuit every week at 5. Did you guys notice how good the food has been these days? There's been like potatoes, salad, soup. It's really not Pursuit anymore. It's per- something else. It's amazing. Anyways, fill that out if you'd like to. I'm going to pray. We're going to get right into it. So Jesus, God, we're excited about your word. God, this text... Oh, it's a big one. Father, it is challenging and misunderstood. And God, I have a feeling it's going to create some feelings of anxiety in some people as we read parts of it. Father, you say that your word is sweet, God. It's like honey to our lips. So I pray, God, that that there would just be a sweetness as we read your word. God, and as your spirit interprets... God, we just ask for that. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you guys grab your Bibles? We're in Matthew 25. Oh, man, we're almost there. Matthew 25. We're going to be getting into the new study on Galatians um, sometime in October. And you're going to notice that Galatians is a very short book. And we're going to cover Galatians verse by verse, and it's going to be really awesome. We're going to go, like, insanely in-depth with each chapter But that's going to be starting then. Okay. You got your Bibles open, Matthew 25? We'll get there in just a minute. This right here has been dominating our headlines this week here in Canada. Thank you, Justin, for all the fireworks and for doing this. You're probably thinking, oh, why are we starting with this? Why is this such a big deal? You might notice if you look at any of the comments on Facebook about people saying this was ridiculous and then other people would say, why is it ridiculous? And just, it gets heated, it gets weird in an awful hurry. And this is a big deal in my mind because humanity is wounded, isn't it? We have a terrible habit of looking at outward appearance and have labeled each other for centuries and hurt each other and demeaned each other. And at the end of the day... Most people don't feel valued. At the end of the day, most people feel as though they have been placed within a box and labeled and demeaned. And, and so this just sort of brings a lot to the front, doesn't it? A lot of cultures have been marginalized throughout history. And I'd say that that's sort of, if you look at the history of planet Earth, what we've sort of done to humanity is, is label and then also to diminish instead of elevate. And I think a lot of those emotions have come out of just sort of what's going on in the world today. When I went to, to Bible school in Saskatchewan, um, there was an event that happened on campus that absolutely shook our entire student body. It was the middle of winter, and we went to go to Moose Jaw, which is 15 minutes away. And as we left Karenport, that's where our college is, it was really, really cold, there was a blizzard, and there was a man that was hitchhiking, and, and as we went by him, 
A guy in the car was like, there's no way that guy's getting picked up. Mid-90s, Saskatchewan, there was a lot of racism, um, and there was a lot of native land claims, and a lot of that kind of thing going on. There's lots of, of, of joke radio shows that had to do with this, and there was just a lot of racism. And this was a native man, and, and he said, there's no way that guy's getting picked up, and it was sort of a joke. Ha, that's kind of funny. And we went to Moose Jaw, and we were there for a few hours, and we came back, and on the other side of the highway, I noticed that the guy was still there. And, and all of us in the car just felt sick. Like, it was probably minus 30 out, and he was just on the side of the road, just car after car after car, just, like, just rejection after rejection after rejection. About an hour later, there was all this commotion. Girls had come back, and this man, after being rejected so long, stepped in front of a semi and took his own life, and some girls from campus were right there when it happened, and they came in and were devastated. About half the student body had driven by him, and we had a chapel the next morning, and one of the Barkman kids, um, Mr. Barkman was our, our president of the school, he got up in chapel and he read from Matthew 25. He said, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And it was just, you could hear a pin drop. There was people crying. Each one of us had recognized just this, just this hypocrisy within us. See, the world is desperate for mercy, is it not? Pope Francis wrote a book, and it's an amazing book. It's called The Name of God is Mercy, and I highly recommend this book. It's, it's a really short read. It's really profound. And this is what he said. He said, humanity is wounded, deeply wounded by poverty, social exclusion, or one of the many slaveries of the third millennium. Humanity needs mercy and compassion. That's what humanity needs more than anything right now. He says, the church does not exist to condemn people but to bring about an encounter with the visceral love of God's mercy. That's, that's our mission. That's our vision. That's why we exist, to bring about that mercy. This is what Jesus did. This is why Jesus left the masses to get in a boat and to go across to this guy named Legion who lived in a graveyard naked and cut himself and cried all day. That's why when the leper came running after Jesus, he touched him. This is why the woman who was caught having sex with someone else's husband and was brought out in the street, Jesus says, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. And they all left. The irony of that situation is that Jesus was without sin. And so he was in a place to cast a stone. But then he said, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. See, the, the church needs to be more like Jesus in pretty much every way. Francis Chan lamented that his church was known for preaching. Like, what's pursuit known for? When you think about pursuit, what's it known for? Is it, is it mercy, would you say? I, I, would, I doubt that that's what we are known for. So he decided to make some changes, and there was a guy in the congregation that needed some help. He needed help getting into dialysis. And he was an old man, and he just said, hey, there's a guy in our congregation that needs help getting to dialysis. Can anyone help him? And this one young adult put up his hand and says, yeah, I'll help him. And so, okay, great. You guys meet up, and they met up afterwards. As they met up, this young adult quickly realized that this guy had to be there every single morning, not just once a week. And it was at 5 a.m. 
and he started driving him. It was just until he was going to receive a kidney, but it turned out he wasn't a candidate to receive a kidney, and he kept driving him and driving him and driving him until he ended up donating his own kidney to this old man. It's pretty cool. You see, mercy changed his life. Church is to be known for our mercy. Our God is, is mercy. That's who he is. These passages that we're going to read are a little bit confusing at first, and they build upon each other, and Jesus explains it all at the end. So we're going to start in Matthew 25, verse 1. Why don't you guys open your Bibles, and we're going to get right into it. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You guys are probably thinking already, what in the world is this? This sounds like some sort of HBO series, The Ten Virgins of Kelowna. There's a lot of cultural things going on here that we'll explain. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. It's midnight. (laughs) There's going to be nobody open. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But they replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. As Jesus was telling this story, they understood it really well. This was a wedding procession, and this happened all the time. Virgins aren't necessarily virgins. This was another word for young woman. So there was these ten bridesmaids, and this is how it worked. Is back then, weddings happened at night so that people could travel during the day to get there. And it was the groom who put on the wedding. Now it's kind of the bride's family. Then it was the groom. And what would happen is all the groomsmen would meet at his house and they would walk to the bride's house. And they would show up there and it would be getting dark. And the bridesmaids had one job and that's to have the lamps ready because they're all going to walk together Ten groomsmen, ten bridesmaids, bride and groom, 22 of them are going to walk down the street in a procession, it's dark, with their lamps. And as they go, there might be like a bongo guy or a guy with, you know, the old uncle with like the, I don't know, mandolin at the back. It's like a party. It's like, ah, they got their lamps. People are coming out and like cheering them on and, you know, an attaboy kind of thing. It's the wedding procession. It's important. And the bridesmaids... It's their job to have the lamps ready, and they never did. Five of them weren't ready, and then they said to the other five, can we borrow some of your oil, please? Knowing that if they did lend it, it would go out before they got to the groom's house, and they wouldn't make it. There's no street lights. This was a really important job that they had, and it was their only job. Imagine being there. Jesus is telling this story, and they're like, oh. So ten bridesmaids were invited to be bridesmaids, and five didn't make it. That would really suck. And they're thinking to themselves, 
why didn't they make it? Jesus is obviously talking about the fact that they've fallen away, that they're no longer following Jesus. And they're thinking, we know people like that. They would have names in their head. Okay, I can think of her, and her and her. They started off strong but didn't make it. And then they're like, well, how do we stay prepared? How in the world do we end up being strong? How do we do this? And Jesus explains it in the next parable. So turn to verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This would be really common to them. This happened all the time. When people left, if somebody had a vineyard, they would put other people in charge of it. Journeys took a long time, and so this was common practice amongst the rich. To one, he gave five bags of gold. Sometimes this is known as the parable of the talents, which is a weight like a kilogram. Not an actual talent, but a weight. In this translation, I like bags of gold because it's, 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 it's just a bit more clear. Another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, remember that, at once, and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one of two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and, did his mas- and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. By the way, this seems like a small amount, five bags of gold. One guy did the... Did the um, the translation into sort of like modern time, this was about $1.9 million. This was a lot of money. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now imagine being in the audience as Jesus is sharing this. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I put money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're thinking, harsh, Jesus. Harsh. What is actually happening here? He's intentionally creating a massive contrast. He says that the two that invested it and doubled it, he says, enter into your master's happiness. He is saying, I have wonderful happiness for you. But to the one who is lazy and did nothing, he is saying, I will shut you out. Just like the wedding feast, they were shut out. He is saying, you're not entering into the master's happiness. You're going to be out with the five virgins in the dark. Remember, they had no oil. They're in the dark. They're weeping. They're gnashing their teeth. These are like signs of regret. 
Like, what have I done? He's not talking about heaven and hell here. This is pretty intense. So how do we invest our lives well? See, Jesus then goes on to explain it all. He says that we will all stand before God, every one of us. Every single one of us in this room will by ourselves stand before God and give an account for how we lived. Every one of us. Jesus is saying that at that time I will separate you, the goats and the sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd. Goats are rebellious and go their own way. He's saying this is what it looks like to be fruitful with the investment I gave you. This is what it looks like to stay ready. This is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. This is really familiar, isn't it? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is mercy. He is saying, my sheep will have mercy. And it's simple. It's simple. You visited me. This is visiting. He says, you invited me in. This is simple. It's valuing people. He says, whatever you did to them, you did to me. This is seeing every single human as infinitely valuable as Jesus. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. This is mercy. I heard of this couple named Ed and Patty. I found a picture of them. <laughs> yeah. They were in their 60s, and it was time for retirement, and they sold their house in the U.S., and they did something unexpected. They moved to Sri Lanka because there's rebel fighting there, and there's countless orphans because of the fighting. And so they moved to Sri Lanka, and they set up a kitchen, and they just cook for orphans and keep them alive. That's what they do with their life. They value those kids. Those kids aren't throwaway. And somebody asked them, they said, that's a strange way. You didn't go to Palm Springs. What an interesting choice you made with your retirement. And listen to what they said. What else are we going to do with our retirement? It really doesn't get any better than this. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says that we get to share in the master's happiness, that's real. When he's saying, I'm inviting you to a wedding feast, that's real. And we get there with mercy. And so when we live for mercy, we should have this mindset of this is the best. It does not get any better than this. We were made to do this. I love this. This is a totally different way. Listen to what Jesus says about the, the parable of the money bags. It's totally different than how we're taught. We're taught to, to go for the, the American dream. We're all in this renaissance thinking that everything is mine. I need to get my own thing. I need to have property with my name on it. I need stuff that is mine. And in this parable, Jesus is completely changing that construct. He is saying this. This will change our whole life. He's saying that everything that you own or have is on loan from God. <laughs> everything. And he's taking it all back. 
by the way. Do you get that? When he comes back, he's going to ask for all of it back. He gave it to us to use for mercy. That's why we have it. Our bank account, that's God's, every penny of it. Your car, that's not yours. Your motorcycle, those shoes you're wearing. Your house, it's not yours. Your health, your abilities, your community, that's all on loan. And we have it to be agents of mercy. That's why we have it. And we're all natural at being agents of mercy, by the way, because we're made in the image of God. We naturally get it. Also, we're filled with the Spirit, and we naturally get the mercy of God when that happens. Think about with people that you love. I love to play mini sticks with my kids. I love it. And they pretty much beat me all the time now because Owen's skilled, and Emily just overpowers me with body checks and breaks the nets. But there was a time where I would, I would make them win. All the time. Somehow the game always went to overtime, and somehow they always won. Because I let them win. It's not the case anymore, but it was. And the reason for that is because I want them to have more fun than me. I want them to win because I love them. You guys get that? It's the same thing with youth kids when we're playing games. I don't want to win. I want them to win so they have a good time because I love them. I think we all get that. When we're at the ark... I want them to have a good time, not me. So when there's a chance to go tubing, we let them have it because we're there for them to win, not for us to win. And this is where we find joy. This is how we need to live for everybody else to win. This is mercy. I want you to win every time. I was at a hobby shop getting a remote control car fixed for our care groups, and there was this guy that was there, and I heard him say to the guy working, he says, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he's like, whatever, we do this work here and here. And then he went on to talk about these kids that he works with in Hawaii, and he said, those kids sure need Jesus. And this guy at the hobby shop's like, oh, okay, yeah. And the guy tried to change the subject, and, you know, this pastor guy let him, but then it always came back to Jesus. (laughs) Always came back to Jesus. And he was just blessing him and blessing him. And then some other worker came into the store. And what did he do? He immediately said, hey, what's your name? The guy told him his name. He shook his hand. And he started talking to him. This pastor did not view these guys as employees. He viewed them as valuable people that he wanted to win. I went in there and I viewed them as employees. I want my battery. Fix my car. Thank you. Do you see how wrong that is? That guy convicted me like crazy. We are not a consumer in any setting. We're an agent of mercy. That's what we are. We want other people to win. We just had the worst waitress. And this waitress was rude. She ignored us. And when she came back in my flesh, I was like, I'm going to punish her with no tip. But then I thought, ah, oh, what, what if I was her youth pastor? I don't recognize her. <laughs> this is possible. And, and I in, decided instead to tip her very well. See, we live to give mercy and to have everybody win in every encounter. And when she saw the tips, she was shocked. It's not my money anyways. 
And if we live to be agents of mercy, then shouldn't Christians be the best extravagant tippers on earth? Shouldn't that be our reputation? That if every single waitress that comes to us or waiter, we're thinking, I want you to win tonight. I want you to win in you serving me. Every single person that serves us wherever we are, if we think, I want you to win, I want you to win, I want you to win. There was this guy named David Nasser, and he was speaking at a youth conference in a hotel. And that's a bad idea. We did Russia at the Grand one year. Tough stuff. (laughs) But as he walked into the elevator, there was this um, lady, and she was a maid, and she was crying. And she looked at David Nasser with tears in her eyes, and she said, What's wrong with these kids? And David Nasser was like, oh no, (laughs) what did they do? What did they do to you? And she said, they're crazy. They made their beds. They left me a note telling me how beautiful I am. They left me a present. And she's crying. These kids were agents of mercy to this lady. They didn't see her as someone who cleaned their rooms. She saw them as, 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 as a beautiful sister. We always want people to win. You see, this is how we invest in what God has given us. And this isn't somewhere down the road when we retire or when we finish school or anything. In that parable, Jesus said that they immediately invested it. On the spot, right now, invested it. Right now. This isn't a tomorrow thing. This is a tonight thing. We get to show mercy to people tonight. When we go home, we're agents of mercy to each other. If we go out and get a coffee, our whole goal with that interaction with that barista is to make them win. This is what we get to do. Here's something that I love is is there's a bunch of our Portland kids who came back, and I just got an email from them. You know who you are. They want to start an outreach downtown with the gospel mission right now, grade 9, 10. Not when they graduate. They're not thinking about their careers. They're thinking, there's people downtown that need love. Let's do it now. Not when we get older. Not when people take us more seriously. Immediately. I love it. Listen to me. If you're bored in your faith, if it lacks joy, then you are not sharing in the happiness of your master. We share in the happiness of our master when we're giving mercy. That's how we do it. You see, Jesus tells one of his most famous stories that you've all heard. It's this Jewish man, and he's been beat up, and he's naked, and he's dying, and he's on the road. And people come and ignore him. They don't show him any mercy except for a Samaritan. And this Samaritan has been spit on by Jewish men his whole life and punched and sworn at by Jewish men his whole life. And now he sees one of them on the road. And he could be thinking, you see, that's what you deserve. That is what you get. You deserve this, he could have thought. Instead, this is what he did. He bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, brought him to a hotel, said, I'll pay for it all. But here's what's crazy. Jesus adds this little detail. It says that this Samaritan poured wine and oil on him. You probably... Forget reading that. Look it up. Luke 10. Poured wine and oil on the man. What is that about? What's going on there? You see, the Greek word for oil that we've seen this whole time is this. Eleon. 
That's the word. It's the root word for mercy. Eleos. Oil is the root word for mercy. This is why we anoint with oil today. When Jesus said that the virgins ran out of oil, he was speaking of mercy. He is saying you had no mercy. There was no oil. He used that word, eleos. You see, Jesus said that we should be a city on a hill, didn't he? He said that we shouldn't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He said we should shine for the world. Did they have lights back then? They did not. How in the world is a city on a hill beautiful? How are we supposed to shine when there's no electricity? They were burning their oil lamps. This is how we shine. It's our mercy that shines. It's our mercy. This is what we're about. When people look at the church, they should say, look at how beautiful she is. She's gorgeous. What are they seeing? Our mercy. That's what they're seeing. They're seeing our mercy. We live for others to win. This is what's going to give us credibility. There were two nurses working at an AIDS clinic in Haiti. And, and as one of the girls was administering drugs to one of the HIV-positive ladies, she poked herself through the glove and into her hand with an infected needle. And this is what she had to say about the whole thing. She said, I'm glad it happened to me and no one else. If this clinic is used by God, then it's all worth it. <laughs> this is such a radical way to live, to see others win. In every single encounter of your life, to try to see other people's win. We went to um, France with a pursuit school, and we go to this place, um, and it's, it's wonderful, and, and it's called SOS Chai, and we drive this van around and we feed, there's 500 refugees and no one else will feed them. They would likely die. And this couple has decided that this is how they're going to live. And see on the side of the van there what it says? Association, vive pour les autres. <laughs> Terrible accent. This is what it says. Live for others. Their whole vision is live for others. You go to their, their main area, it's called Bethany, there's a big sign and it says that, live for others. This is it. This is mercy, we live for others. I want to see you win. Every single encounter, we want to see other people win. This is their mission and this needs to be our mission. You know what? When you see your waiter, they're not someone to bring your food. This is an object of your mercy and your big tips. Am I right? They could be the worst tipper. I mean, sorry, the worst server. Just like that Jewish man was on the road, did not deserve the mercy of the Samaritan, but he poured oil and wine out on him. We do not give mercy to people that deserve it only. We tip extravagantly. Your checkout lady, we can be the most present person with that person. With your taxi driver, if you take a taxi. Sash takes a taxi all the time. I love that. Here's what happened to me. Many of you guys saw on the Instagram machine. But uh, the Oilers are in town. I'm a bit of a fangirl. And we heard that Connor McDavid was at the Grand. And he was. And we got a picture with him. I wanted to talk to him so bad. He was there and I'm like, how's it going? He's like, eh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's, I'll take it. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for the time. 
I appreciate it. Imagine if you order a taxi, it pulls up, and it's Connor McDavid driving the taxi. I would be like, this is the greatest thing in the whole world. You know what? I would laugh at every joke, everything he wanted to tell me about his personal life. I would be riveted. Okay, tell me more. But what about if the taxi driver was somebody